the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome to the believer's journey. I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, We're going to have a really pretty cool program. It's going to be uh, Bible Questions on the Fly. This is going to be our 16th uh, program that we've had on the Questions on the Fly. And so today I have with me Laura Trevino, um, one of my most special friends. And so... uh, (laughs) Hi. How are you? <laughs> so anyway, um, it's kind of neat. We're, I'm back from Hawaii. I've got new shirts. I've got new everything. And so um, except for my brain is a little foggy in the last week or so. So we're going to have to put up with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and really pray the Holy Spirit works and teaches right through me. So anyway, I want to um, thank everyone who does support our uh, ministry. I want to thank everyone who uh, mm-hmm. has commented or supported uh, while we were in Hawaii, especially when we had our missionary, uh, Radu. He gave a me- the, only, the message our last week there, and uh, it was really nice. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, I recommend you go back and uh, view uh, the message that he gave um, while we were in Hawaii. Anyway, so, um, hello, Laura. It's good to have you. It's so good to be back with you, and I am fine, just uh, enjoying the summer and giving thanks to God for one more day. So, Laura is just, like I said earlier, she is really, I want to emphasize this, she is really a very special and dear person to my heart. And so, I love her dearly. Um, she is such an inspiration uh, spiritually, uh, friendship-wise, and all kinds of ways. And so um, it's a total pleasure to have her on my program. She, I know she is a very busy person. And uh, when I text her, she gets back to me three days later. I mean, it's just really, she's busy. And if it's not because she's busy, her, her daughter stole her phone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's the same from here to you. Of course, I, I, I really appreciate you and Susan, you know, and you, you always have to have time to, to talk about our faith and Jesus. So I'm glad I'm here. Well, one thing is, is interesting is that um, I believe the Holy Spirit has given me a gift to, to teach and so in that, I, I feel inclined to do so at all times, at the at drop of a hat. So anyway, so we have a, a whole slew full of questions, and you're going to go ahead and start off and ask some of these and see how I do. Of course. Here, go, here it starts the exam. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a joke. Okay, very good questions, by the way. 
Why? Well, from the Philippines. Okay. Why was Jesus a threat to the Jews to a point they hung him on the cross? What did Jesus do to deserve that severe punishment on the cross? Okay, so I don't believe Jesus did anything to deserve the cross. Um, and I don't think Scripture says anything that would indicate that Jesus deserved the cross. He really, um, I mean, we think about it, Jesus lived a perfect life. He uh, did nothing to deserve any kind of punishment. He, he lived a, a holy life, a righteous life, uh, basically, many will say a perfect life. Um, we say that he is God incarnate uh, in, in that respect. You know, there is no, there should be no punishment whatsoever. <clears throat> and even Jesus said, no one takes my life. I think this is the key thing is that when, when we want to blame somebody and too many people in our world want to put blame on somebody. Oh, well, you know, the Jews killed Jesus. Well, the Romans killed Jesus. Well, you know, people. And really, Jesus said, nobody takes my life. I give it freely. So he came and gave his life. He laid down his life freely for us so that we can have a reconnected life with God. And in having a reconnected life with God means that we'll also have to spend eternity with God. And that really was God, Jesus' mission. So he didn't do anything to deserve it. He didn't do anything wrong. He, but he loved us so much, and he loved the Father so much that he went through this in order that we may establish a recreated life in God for eternity. Totally. He, his love is... Eternal. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Next one? Yeah. Unless you have a comment. Um, no, no. It's just that I, 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 for me, it's very, it brings tears to my eyes. You know, it's funny you say that because whenever I watch a movie or I think deeply about Jesus and his punishment, I mean, not just the cross itself, but being beat and being whipped and all those things. When I watch movies that have these things, I literally cry. It's like, you shouldn't have to go, I've gone through this for me. And it really touches my inner being deep, so deep that I shiver he, and he cry. He did it inside. for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, yeah. he loves us so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, from multiple countries. Since we are now in the New Testament church, do we need to pay tithe to the church? <laughs> okay, so paying tithe has really been a, I don't know, a thorn in so many people's sides. It's been such an argument. I don't know if it's an argument worldwide or if it's an argument mostly in the Americas. But I think we need to go back to what is tithe for? You know, what, what is it? Tithe literally means 10%. Okay, let's start there, a tenth. But why do we give a tithe? God set up the, um, 
the 12 tribes of Israel, and 11 of them he gave land to, and one of them he did not. And the one he did not were the Levites. And the Levites were to take care of all the rest of the 11 tribes. They were supposed to, you know, uh, manage the synagogues or the, the uh, temple when it came, actually the temple before, during Joshua's period, they didn't have a temple, they have a tabernacle. So they, they did all the um, ministerial and priestly duties. And that was their responsibility. Okay, so they didn't, they weren't given land to uh, work and, and make an income. So in order to support the priests, okay, the people were, were told they needed to give a tithe to the storehouse so that the priests can live, because they could afford to live, they could eat and not starve to death. Mm-hmm. Okay, But also, the tithe went to other areas, like if there were widows, and uh, widows were not able to make an income, or if there were orphans. So the tithe they gave also went to support orphans and widows and so forth. So the tithe in the Old Testament was given to help construct and benefit God's work for his people, okay, as they honored him and served him. Now, okay, so the question is about the New Testament. Well, I don't think anything's changed. It doesn't say a lot about tithing in the New Testament. Jesus did mention one time when they asked him about giving, you know, uh, when he mentioned about tithing, he says, you should do this with a lot of other things. And he also said that you don't do the things you should do. And then in Paul's writing, uh, he mentions about giving, giving from your heart, giving hilariously, glad, with a glad heart. And, it, and people want to separate that. But in today's world, in the last several or a couple thousand years, we, st- we have the church. And the church has been, in the beginning, home churches where they have you know, people who were pastors and they led organ, uh, people, you know, in a meeting at the home. It wasn't necessarily in the synagogues. It left there. So how are these people supported? Well, they're going to be supported by a tithe. I mean, um, unless there's someone like the Apostle Paul, where Paul was a tent maker and he would go to these towns and preach and he made tents. Well, it's just like myself. You know that, you know, I have, Susan and I have our own business. So the believer's journey doesn't pay me a dime. Of course, we don't make the money to pay me anything. <laughs> but but even if it did, my, my biggest concern about the believer's journey is that it ministers and does the work of God in proclaiming the message that it needs to be sent out. I have a business that brings our income in, so I don't need to worry about an income. I do am concerned about the ministry itself to be able to be uh, uh, where I could teach. I can go to Moldova and teach. I can go different places in our city or even our country, and I can go and teach, okay? That I put out uh, information uh, to teach. I write. Uh, this program itself. I mean, it costs money to do this. So these things is why the the money comes in and it goes towards that. Now, am I a church? Well, kind of, yes. But I am not, I have, I am like a tent maker. I have my own business, so I don't worry about that. But there are a lot of churches out there that have pastors and that's all they do. 
they don't they don't have a business they don't work another job and their time is taxed if you will by doing all the work as a priest would do back in the old testament so they need to be taken care of okay that's what a tithe is supposed to do also in today's world in in the modern age we have churches you know they have bills electric bills water bills you know, there's other kind of bills that they they have. Some of them have mortgages. In order for them to function, they need the tithe coming in to function as a building, and the pastor needs to function as a pastor. And we have associate pastors and so forth. The church is also supposed to be taken care of widows and orphans. I don't think that ever changes either. Yeah. So I don't think the New Testament changes anything in our tithing. I think some people don't want to give tithe because they're just... I'd be careful what I say. Cheap. They don't want to. They don't want to take from their pocket to give. Well, that's a problem all in itself spiritually. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if that answered everything, but I think that's a pretty thorough answer for that question. Well, I I see my pastor, you know, and I I, I can see that his life is to go and make disciples, you know, like study the Bible with you, give you all the time, travels, you know, and how how come you... For me, it's like, give it... I don't, because of my English, that is not perfect. I forgot the word, the exact word that you said, but it's giving with joy, you mm-hmm. know? Uh-huh. What was the word? From, with a glad heart, joy is right. Ah, with a glad heart. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. And, and and I think that's the key, you know, because you're not gonna say, <laughs> because that it doesn't work that that way. And, and I really believe that it's important that we do give a tithe or and or more than a tithe to uh, the church now. There was a time when I attended a church, and I the church was very wealthy, and it spent a lot of money on a lot of frivolous things, extra stuff that, that to me, threw away money. And they, they paid top dollar for stuff that they didn't have to. And so my wife and I decided, you know, that we knew of missionaries, you know, that we wanted to support. And we minister them, and they have churches. So we and we minister to those churches. So we literally took a lot of that tithe, okay, and we gave it to the missionaries for their church. Yeah. The 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 missionary that came with us that spoke on my program, Radu. Not only is he a missionary to uh, crew, and he and he works hard. I mean, he he really does a lot, and he's also an associate pastor at a church. He also works with another group outside this community. So he's busy doing all that. So his only income is from those who give. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he, when the, when Ukraine, when they had the people coming in, all the refugees leave, leaving, I called one time, they had like six or six or more people in his house staying there. And they had people all the time from Ukraine. And he's putting them up. Well, they're having to buy, pay for their meals, pay the extra electricity for their house and gas and so forth. It all comes out of their pocket somehow. Well, they don't have a job. In fact, they're not even allowed to have a job. So what they're supposed to do is, is depend on 
the giving, well, that's where we come in. Yeah, totally. I just remember that uh, I put a, an ad in, in the app, OfferUp, mm-hmm. you know, that I was selling a bed. So they are coming, and there's this Latin guy, what you just said, with a, a woman from Ukraine, you know. Oh, my God, eh, Alan. They, he starts to tell me, you know, how how they came without nothing. I didn't know what to give. Like, okay, take this, take this, take this, because it breaks your heart, really. And then it, you will laugh with this. But I, I gave her, by mistake, all my summer shoes. <laughs> I was like... Where am I so? All of them. I said, for sure it was, uh, uh, you know, a mistake. So she was, she was going to be very happy with all. Well, I hope it was her size. But anyway, you know, you it breaks your heart. They, yeah. where, where are they coming from and everything, you know? And, and, and if you are blessed, just. Yeah, I, it's interesting when I, um, and this has nothing to do with the church, but. Uh, I had a pastor, Robert Emmett, uh, from CBC, and uh, he said something once, or more than once, in our services. He said, you know, if God has blessed you in your life, in your finances, and you go to dinner, and you can afford to go to dinner, you should be able to afford to tip your weight help. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and God has blessed Susan and I. So we we definitely tip twenty percent without without any Always. question without yeah, question yeah. because we want to be a blessing to other people. We don't well I don't they were not just really perfect. He she didn't fool my glass all the way. I didn't do that. That's such <laughs> stupid things. But we want to be a blessing and, and we want to be honoring to God in that. Yeah. And so it, it's more than just in the church itself. But the church are people. It's not a building, and the church is is uh, important to understand that we are the church, and we need to be supportive of those in the church together. Those who are hurting, those who are suffering, those who are our ministers, and we need to support them, and that's really important. So again, I think the old God doesn't change, you know, from Old Testament to New Testament. I think. The church has changed in the way it works in comparison to the synagogue or the, the um, temple. However, one thing I want to say is I don't agree with these preachers that are getting wealthy. Millionaires, multimillionaires are getting wealthy off of people. I think that that's a, a crime. I do too. So. No, I do too, and I... Uh... Not so long ago, I was with with a girl with so hungry spiritually, but with this kind of church, like, oh, no, you know what I mean. And I was just like, no, I don't know, it's like stealing. It is. Yeah. But well, Uh, from Kenya, as Christians, can the fact that we attend different denominations affect someone's faith in Christ? 
you know, I think I've said this before, but I think what's important is not the denomination you you attend. Uh, as long as it's a Bible teaching denomination, however, we've got to be careful that we don't just accept everything that's being taught to us. Um, if my pastor is watching this program, I've got to be careful because I have to say, I don't agree with everything he preaches. I don't. You know, yeah. and I, don't, I don't agree with a lot of everything that all pastors preach. I search my scriptures. I yeah. look them up and I make sure, for example, they may say something. I'm like, that doesn't sound right to me. And I'll look in the scripture and study it and realize, oh, yeah, what they said was not correct. It wasn't accurate. So what our position is, no matter what denomination we're in, is to study the scriptures. I, I said this weeks ago. Don't just read your Bible. Study it. I think it's, it's so important. And if, you know, I know people that go to um, different, I know people that go to a Catholic church and they don't really follow Catholicism, but they they follow the Lordship of Jesus Christ and follow his teachings. And they want to see other people in the Catholic church to be, to turn to Jesus as their Lord. So it's all about where is your focus, you know, uh, not your denomination, so it doesn't matter what church you go to. I've heard people say, well, if they go to a certain denomination, they're going to go to hell. Well, that's ridiculous. Because it's not where you go. It's who is your Lord. You know, if Jesus is your Lord, it doesn't matter where you go. You know, what is your, what is your commitment to him and what is your message to others? That's, that's huge. Wow. No, never take everything from granted from someone just just go to the scriptures, you know, yeah. and there, <clears throat> over there is all the answers. It is. Yeah, yeah, so that's why the importance to study. Yeah. Okay, so next one. From Turkey, should we believe in God or no God? Well, okay, so, and I'm getting a lot of uh, people watching my program from Turkey now. I mean, a couple thousand. A lot of people. So I am, I don't know. Somebody said, well, it's all the people who left Russia. <laughs> I don't know. But all of a sudden, Turkey is, is blown up and Russia's gone down to nothing. So I'm wondering that too. <laughs> However, that's a good question. If you watch my program, you'll know that when I talk about the word believe, it's really a cornerstone word in the faith of Christianity. However, there's a huge and major problem with the word believe in our modern day dictionary. And I don't care if it's English dictionary, Spanish dictionary, Romanian dictionary, French dictionary, Russian dictionary, it doesn't matter. We have the same problem nowadays is that the word believe, the way that they are defining it in the, in the dictionaries is that it's a, it literally says it's something we understand to be true. Okay. And it makes it a passive verb. So if I say I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm saying because the Bible says so, and what I'm saying is I understand that God is true and real, therefore I'm a Christian. But the word that comes from the actual Greek and the word that comes from the Hebrew is not passive. And it doesn't mean something we understand to be true. It means it's an active verb. 
It means it's something we act on, we take a hold of, we follow. Like following the teachings of Jesus, following Jesus, doing what he asks, like a disciple. So when you're acting on and following what is being taught to you, then you're truly believing, okay? I don't think you can truly know God unless you follow him. You can know of him, like like uh, like I know of my producer. I think he's he's probably the best producer here in 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 this st- studio. Okay, he's got the best voice in the world. I, oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> he wins. Yeah, yes, that's for sure. <laughs> but I I don't know him. I know of him because I don't spend time with him. We don't go out and have yeah. lunch and shoot guns or mess around. We don't do those things. So I don't know him on that personal level. So if we did things together, I would know him. Okay. Um, and the same thing with, with God. If we believe in him, means we're following his teachings. If we're following his teachings, that means we're learning from him. That means we're getting to know who he is and we actually know him. Jesus said something really interesting to his disciples when he talked about um, in John 15. He talked about the disciples becoming his friends. You are my friends. A friend, you know, you lay down your life for your friends and you are my friends. And I think that's it. I grew up with with a guy all my life from the age of 12 on. And his name is Reed. And uh, he's like my best friend. You have a best friend yeah. you grew up with. You'll be seeing her soon today. And um, I know that I haven't seen him in, in a couple of years. But I can go back and, and sit down with him, talk to him. And it's almost like we're together years ago because we know each other. I can say something. He can say, that's not true. I know you. you know? <laughs> yeah. Because we know each other. We, yeah. You know. And, and I think that's the same way as, as a believer. You know Jesus because you spend time with him. You study him. You follow yeah. him. And that's the real difference between going to church, reading your Bible, and say, oh, I know about Jesus. I believe. I understand he's true. There's a difference there between that and following him and, and knowing him. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree with what you you're saying and the faith comes from hearing the the word. Uh-huh. So in order to believe you gotta know him through the scriptures. Well it's true. Yeah. Uh-huh. You have to know. Him. Yeah, of course. Okay. Fifth one. From Moldova. I have two questions. First, you said on previous video, you believe seals from the book of Revelation have started to open. Do you also believe we are in seven-year tribulation? Second, when is the rapture? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I have said that I believe the seals have been opened. Uh, I don't know about all of them, but I believe they've started to open. I don't know how many. I think at least the first three or four. That's my personal opinion, personal interpretation. So we're going to say that obviously I could be wrong. 
Okay. Yeah. But I believe the reason I believe that is because Jesus said in Matthew 24 to watch for the signs of the times, of the end times. And when you see certain things happening, you'll know the end is near. So when I look at the seals and what they represent, like the white horse and representing deception, you know, and and representing uh, deception in the church, deception in our nations, all these things. And I look at, you know, peace being taken from the earth. I'm looking all around us and I'm seeing the deception in our churches. I'm seeing deception in our politics, in our countries. I'm seeing, you know, peace being taken away worldwide. We have riots and problems worldwide, you know. So I, I think when we go there into the next one and so forth, I see the seals. It's very almost evident that these seals have been opened. But it doesn't mean that the tribulation is started. I think that those things can start without the tribulation starting. I know that we've been taught that the tribulation starts and then the seals open. But it doesn't say that. So that's an interpretation. So I have my interpretation. And um, I could be wrong on that. Um, but like I said, the signs are showing it. It's, it's pretty evident when you see pestilence in our, in our world. And we do. You know, when you see all these things happening, you know, it's evidence that the end times are here. So I don't necessarily believe we're in the seven-year tribulation. I don't think the first three and a half years are a big deal anyway. I know people are going to write me about that one. <laughs> it's the last three and a half years that are bad. The first three and a half years, you know, it's because it's the last three and a half years that are really called the Great Tribulation, not the first three and a half. So, you know, when we go through the time of sorrow, which is the first half, okay, I don't see that being much different than some of the times we era that we've been through through history. But the last three and a half years has been like none other, no other time in the history of the world. So that's different. I don't believe that's going to begin until the temple is built. And that's, again, my interpretation. So um, I, I think that uh, whether or not we're in the seven year, I don't know. Uh, do I believe the rapture? Uh, what was the, was the question? When is the no, rapture? When, when, is, when, we, oh. when is the rapture? No, nobody knows that. You know, literally, if somebody tells you, oh, it, it is in, uh, before the tribulation, nobody knows that. That's, that's really, uh, let me explain that. There, there are four ideas of the rapture that some of them have scripture to back it up, and one of them doesn't have scripture to back it up. The first one, before the tribulation, has no scripture to back it up. Pre-trib, rapture, there's no scripture to back it up. The only scripture there is is that there will be a rapture. Yeah. But then you have the middle of the tribulation, and there's a lot of belief, and there's scripture that backs that up. And there's one called the wrath tribulation, or I'm sorry, rapture, which is toward the end, uh, before the seventh seal and, and the, the bowl. And then you have one where they believe the rapture will come when Jesus is coming down. And then you have what people believe will be the uh, resurrection, not necessarily the rapture, toward the end of the thousand-year reign. So you have all this. These, <laughs> these, are, these are interpretations. And whether it's the first, second, third, or fourth, or way down the road, we, nobody knows. I don't know. I don't really—my teaching isn't based around rapture. 
my teaching is based around getting your life together in your relationship with Jesus and ground it into you know, the foundation so that when the time comes of the end times, you won't fall away. You won't turn away. That you'll be grounded in him and your relationship is strong. Amen. Because the Bible says in the end days, many will turn. So my teaching is about the relationship and having it founded strong. strong. Yes. And uh, if and when there is a rapture, well, if we count on the rapture in the beginning and also we're in the tribulation, people are going to think, oh, no, and possibly mm-hmm. turn away. I mean, we, we can't focus on the rapture. We need to focus on Jesus. And that's where my teaching is. It's all about that, focusing on Jesus, living in Jesus, grounding yourself in Jesus, and not worrying about the rest. You know. Well, I'm learning all those four because I didn't know. You know, <laughs> I mean, thought that that it can be right now. Well, I highly or, do not believe yeah. that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. I I do not believe that at all. That one is is. Far from what I believe. I, if I were to pick one, it would maybe one of two, which is in the middle or toward the end. But I don't know. I mean, you just don't know. There is good scripture to support both of them, but again, they're just interpretations. Yeah. And, so. and when it's not totally accurate, you can't base your whole whole theology on interpretation. That's foolish. I'm glad that you that you say that. Yeah. Okay. From the UK, I don't understand understand why you teach on the Ten Commandments, especially since we are not under the law. Isn't salvation grace through faith and not the law? Okay. So... Number one, I teach on the Ten Commandments because I believe that it is a window into God's mind of how he wants us to live in a moral and spiritual climate with him and with each other. The Ten Commandments were given, and by the way, the Ten Commandments are not part of the law of Moses. So let's just get that right off the bat. The Ten Commandments came after the Israelites left Egypt. And when they were settled in outside of Egypt, Moses went up, got the Ten Commandments, and brought them down. And these Ten Commandments dealt with how to live with him and how to live with one another. And in this, I believe the reason is because the people were under oppression. They lived, they lived for several years in a country that worshipped several gods, that had all these problems, and they were under oppression, and they're coming into a whole freedom and a situation that gave life that God was trying to open up to them. Here's life. Life is honoring me. Life is honoring one another. And I think that that's what God did in the Ten Commandments. And that's why I teach that. It's a good, it's a good window into his mind. Now, as far as uh, uh, it said, we're... Oh, the, uh, salvation isn't grace through faith. Okay, so basically, yes, uh, salvation is grace through faith, not the law. The law was never given. The law of Moses was never given for salvation. 
the teaching that the law is for what was for salvation is false. It's a false teaching. The law was given to help people again know how to live in honor of God. Okay, to know how to live in honor of one another, to how to treat one another. You know, it was a it was a law of morality and a law of spirituality. Okay, mm-hmm. and it was a law of. Uh, um, I don't know. There was a what Jesus ended, which was in the ceremonial law. There was that ceremonial law, which we don't need to worry about anymore, because Jesus took care of that on the cross. Okay. And yeah. Lie. Sure. So we don't need to worry about ceremonial law, but civil law, we still need to think about. Well, is it right to kill? Murder each other? No, it's not right. That's part of the law. Is it is it right to go rape women? No, it's not right. You know, is it right to go you know treat people badly? No, it's not right. That is the law. Of course, we follow that. That'd be ridiculous to say we shouldn't have to do it anymore. That we can live in in and do whatever we want and treat people badly. And God has grace for us. It's kind of ridiculous. God says He wants us to live in holiness and righteousness. That would pertain to the civil law of how to live with one another. And then you have the judicial law, which judges how we interact with one another. If somebody went and got a girl pregnant, okay, judicial law needs to come place and say, hey, you know what? You got this girl pregnant. You're not married. You need to take care of that child. So we have back then child support (laughs) in the law, you know. Yeah. And so, so the law is, is good. The law really is important. And I think is, if we look at that, it was, it was nothing to do with salvation. And in Jesus' day, unfortunately, it was corrupted. And the Pharisees, actually all the Jews at that time, lived as if the law was salvation. It gave salvation. And Jesus had a, had a problem with this and fought against this, and Paul did too. But the law was not given for the purpose of salvation. Salvation came from through grace through faith, and that is absolutely correct. But it doesn't dismiss the fact that we have the Ten Commandments, which are not part of the law. Actually, a lot of the Ten Commandments are in the law. He, in, he kind of integrated them, but they're important. Honor your parents, the Sabbath day. All those things are important. Honor him. Have no gods before you. Don't say you're a believer and live like you're not a believer. That's, that's using God's name in vain. So, yeah. so basically, those things in the law and in the Ten Commandments still hold true today. I understand. But thank you, Lord, for your grace. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I want to say, that doesn't mean that grace was non-existent in the Old Testament. In fact, you see in the Old Testament, God giving grace to his people time and time again. We act as if, you know, we're the New Testament church, the the New Testament of grace and not the Old Testament of the law. Well, there's more evidence and there's more uh, reading about God's grace in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament. And when you understand that, it's like, okay, start reading the Old Testament. You'll learn. You'll learn what God is about. You want to know what God is like? Read that Old Testament as well as the New Testament. It's so important. God is a God of grace from the beginning. Remember, the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God said, I am the same. I will always be the same, and I never lie. Well, if that's the truth, 
And we see God giving grace in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Guess what? It doesn't change. That's really important. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Okay. Uh, from Turkey, like many Christians and Christian teachers, do you claim that there are several names of God? Oh, and a book just came out, and it's like, disgusts me. Pray all the names of God, or whatever it's called, you know. God has one name. And the problem is, we're taking all these words in the Bible, like Elohim, Adonai, Elyonon, you know, all these names, and we're claiming that these, I mean, words, and we're claiming these are names of God. These are not names of God. These are titles. It's like saying, Lord is... Jesus' name. Lord is not Jesus' name. It's a title. You know? A difference. Yeah. yeah. And so Yahweh, of course, we don't we don't know the letters between the Y and the H and the W and the H. Uh, we we think it's E and an A. Um, I'm sorry, A and an E. But we don't know. Two or three hundred years before Christ, you know, they went in and took out all those vowels out of that name. Because they didn't want it started be, things started becoming legalistic, and that's what yeah. one of the things they started. So Yahweh is God's name, always was, always will be. Okay, if I want to say um, Elohim, it's a title. It's a title. It's a title. It's a title. Perfect. In fact, Elohim isn't even capitalized. If you look at it, that very way. important. Yeah. Adonai, it's a title. God, Lord Almighty. I mean, you know, we're talking about a title of God. So we, I believe God has one name, and it's really important we understand that. If you say Jehovah, well, Jehovah is kind of like Jehovah. The J came in hundreds of years later. Jehovah was the English version of what Yahweh was. It kind of interpreted it that way. Whether it's correct or not, it, this is the way they did it. Um, but to say Jehovah is God's name, and Jehovah Shalom is also God's name. No, He is the God of peace. That's that again. That title is following who His name. Okay. So you know, um, if I if I said, you know, I am Alan, and I am Alan of the Believer's Journey. Well, my name is an Alan of the Believer's Journey. That's that's just who I'm a part of. That it's what I represent. So. That's what God represents. And if we understand that, we can get it better suited for our arguments. Because I see a lot of arguments about God and his name and all these names. And people want to preach sermons about all of God's names and write books about all of God's names. No, it doesn't happen that way. He's got a name. We need to just stick with that. And otherwise, we look like a bunch of foolish Christians. I mean, seriously, that's what we look like. You know? Yeah. And maybe it's better that some of these Christians go talk to some Jews who know Hebrew and know their, their Old Testament. And maybe if, they, maybe if they did, they'd understand. No, all these names are titles. But okay. the way we do this, is it is foolish. And, 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 you know, I can understand how you feel. Like, well, it's, we are focusing in, in the wrong, you know. Yeah. Just, yeah. And I don't know if it's because... These preachers or teachers or people want or writers, they want to 
make a name for themselves, make money. I, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I, I really don't. But there's obviously, in my opinion, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lack of scholarly, you know, searching of studying of the scriptures when they do that. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Well, eighth, from the United States. In my church, the leader teaches the essence of God is love, but you said it's holiness. It seems these are two very different things. Please explain. Also, does it matter? <laughs> okay. So, God said that, he goes, I am holy. He says, be holy because I am holy. In 1 Peter, Peter says, be holy because God is holy. Of course, 1 John says, God is love. That's not a contradiction, but we have to understand when we say the essence of what God is, where do we start with? Okay, if I were to tell you my idea or definition of love, for example, you would probably have a different definition. You know, uh, my famous voice producer would have a different definition. We'd all have different definitions of love. Well, that poses a problem when we look at God. Because if I say God is love, I'm going to see God is love in one area or facet, and you're going to see it differently. So, really, God is holy. The essence of God is holy. And what comes from his holiness is love. Love has to be perfect. The only way that love can be perfect, if it stems from something that is perfect. What is perfect? Holy. Holiness. So, God is holy, and all of his attributes, whether it be love, forgiveness, anger, jealousy... Joy, all these things of, that are attributes of God all come from the fact that he's holy because that makes those attributes perfect. Okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yes, God is love, but God is love within and from out of his holiness. God is holy. And does it make a difference? It, it shouldn't make a difference. However, there are doctrines nowadays that are being taught that God is love. And because God is love, there's no hell. And all the people in the world, nobody's going to go to hell because God is love and he wouldn't send anybody to hell. He never created hell. There's no such thing as eternal you know, damnation because God is love. And that is a doctrine that's very powerful right now and it's a very false doctrine being taught around our world. And it's dangerous. Okay, so I think it's really important. Are we supposed to be love? Yes, we're supposed to be love also. But that's just one of the attributes, just like we're supposed to be forgiving. We're, you know, have forgiveness. We're supposed to be joy, patient, kind. All these things we're supposed to be. Those are all part of God's attributes, but they still all stem from holiness. And I think that is the key issue, is that God is holy, 
It should not be important that there's a difference, but there is, in fact, importance. And mostly because now there's doctrine out there being taught. They're leading people away from serving God because the fact that, well, I don't need to worry about being holy because God is love. I don't need to worry about a hell because God won't send me there because everybody goes to heaven. And that's why there's a problem. Of course it is. So that's yeah. why the importance of uh, Christians to to go to the scriptures because he's always so clear. Yeah, and you know, it, it says in in Hebrews, I think it says, uh, without holiness, we, we can't please God. No. So we need to be holy. We need to live a holy life. We need to, and what that means is that we need to try to be imitators of, of him. We need to seek him to become like him. Be like Jesus. Jesus was the perfect example that we need to follow. Well, for me, it's totally about Jesus. You know, like they, they will see Jesus in me. And it's not about Laura, it's about Jesus in me. Um, okay, perfect. That's very, very important question. Okay, this one is very, it goes to my testimonial. From Moldova, I am a Christian and my husband is a non-believer. What is my responsibility to him? Um, I want to be careful in this, this answer. Um, I, I don't believe, like some of these preachers that teach that, you know, if your husband is abusive, you need to obey everything he does and, you know, live in, in the abuse. I, I disagree with that. That's not um, a teaching of the scripture. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about um, marriage and he talks about believers and unbelievers as far as marriage. And he says that, you know, if you have a, an unbelieving spouse and they want to stay, you should stay with them. But if they want to leave, you can let them go. Um, but it doesn't talk about, you know, certain actions. All I know is we are called to a higher level of, of livelihood in the fact that we follow the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus taught us to love one another. He taught... Um, to love the na our neighbors. Now, your spouse is going to be more than a neighbor, right? So we have the Good Samaritan um, parable. And that Good Samaritan, the guy that came along, was was a guy who was hated by the Jews, but he took care of somebody who most likely was a Jew, and, and he was hated, and he called them a, a neighbor. So then we need to understand that Jesus talked about loving one another so if you have a spouse that is not a believer, then I believe you need to treat them in the same manner that says in Ephesians, that husbands need to love their, their wives as Christ loved the church. And wives need to honor their husbands, you know, as unto the Lord. Of course, how does an unbelieving spouse honor their husband, honor as unto the Lord when they're not honoring the Lord? It makes it tough. Um, I, I believe that uh, one of the things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians is that 
we need to be an example and love them and stay with them so that we can win them to the Lord. You know, I mean, how how much greater is that relationship you have, you know, if that person wants to stay and you are an example of Jesus to that spouse? Now, I am definitely not recommending that if you're dating somebody or you date somebody who's not a believer. No, you shouldn't. Oh, no, that's a different that's story. A different yeah. story. Yeah. But if you are married and you become a believer or you are a believer and, and your person isn't, then what's important is that, you know, you honor that, per, honor that spouse. You love that spouse. You, in, in all humility and loving kindness through Jesus, win that spouse over to Jesus. Yeah. And I think that's really the, the answer. Yeah. Well, it, it, it was my story. Um, I was married for 27 years. And uh, we were not Christians. Uh, well, we were Catholics, but to be honest, we, we were nothing. And, and I, I, I came to Jesus when I was 46. You're you know? 46? <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I think he, it's a long story, but he, he called, Jesus also called him, but he was really in the world, you mm. know. So he tried, and then he said, I don't know what he said. He just said, too boring, you know, or whatever. And, and well, my pastor told me, just keep praying, you know. There, there's promises like that you will be, you and your house will be saved. And... And for me, it's it's really amazing, you know, the promises of God, because you never think that it's going to happen to you. But I, I said it on on the last class that you invited me a long time ago last year, uh, that I lost my my husband uh, because of COVID. You know, he he in 2021 uh, and we didn't have not a clue not him not not us me and my four children that he was going to die you know and that last day of his life my daughter that was with him long story he was in Mexico uh, I am from Mexico uh, he he said at 6 a.m., call your mother and tell her that I want to, I want her to read me the Bible. To be honest, I said, well, that's a very bad joke. You know, because I didn't believe that he was going to ask for that. So, God is faithful. Thank you, Jesus, because it was 6 a.m. and at 7 20 p.m. He, he he went with the Lord, you know, and he was asking me, and he said, keep keep reading and keep reading, and I, and I was just like, 
it, it, it was shocking, you know, yeah. it was beautifully uh-huh. shocked, like, like, but I, when it's happening, you, 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 you're thinking, but everything is going to be all right. But God, God was preparing him. It, he was God from God and he's over there and I will see him for the eternal, for the eternity. And, and my, my children were really worried about that, you know, because they love God. Also, I am so blessed. I don't have anything to do with that. Glory to God. And, and, and he, they said, you're going to die and we are going to make a party because we know how you love God. What about our dad? And just keep praying. And he, we know we will see him again. And I love that. You know, I love that. Yeah. So. Well, you know, first and foremost, even before your, your, your situation as a wife or husband, your responsibility is to be like Jesus. Yeah. So if you look at Jesus' life and how did he treat non-believers, you know, he walked into non-believers' homes and say, hey, I want to have dinner with you. Hey, you know, and he talked with them and, and shared with them and he ate with them. And, and I think that, you know, uh, it's important that uh, we understand our number one responsibility is to become like Jesus. And if we see that and we really take that in, then it doesn't matter what the relationship is, we'll we'll work and live in a way that honors Jesus and becomes like Jesus. It's our responsibility. It is. I know that it's got to be harder in in a relationship where you're living together like a married couple. I know it's got to be harder because just like Paul says, what is light? How can light and dark live together? How can they really come together? And I can understand that. But if you're already together, then it's important that the person who is a believer, then it's they need to be the one taking the high road to really do what they're called to do. And they're called to love, to give of themselves. They're called to honor Jesus and become like Jesus. Yeah. And you know, I also think like you, because in the Bible says that to peace, uh, God called us, you know, and I don't believe to be with a man that, you know, is put you down or, you know, it's not good for you, you know, even though I know he... God does, doesn't want the marriage to end, you know, but if it's, it's... Yeah. And for those people who are dating somebody who's not a believer, then, you know, if you're not careful and you get married, you're, you're in for a hard life. It's going to be tough and hard. Yeah. It's going to be heartbreak. It's going to, you know, be a lot of things that... Challenges uh, a lot more. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, and we're not called to marry unbelievers. I mean, that's if you think about this, in the Old Testament, God told Solomon not to marry those who were not of the same faith. And he had married hundreds of them. Um, and yet Solomon did some, those things, very unwise things, and then, then allowed these women to, to worship in the temple. 
And then he went and worshipped with him in the temple, probably because, you know, he wanted to be part of his wives, but then got, ang got, got angry. So really, we need to be careful of those things, and we need to follow um, what God teaches, which is to stay within the faith. Amen. So. Okay. Are we are we done? I have no idea. If we're at one minute, ten. I mean, one hour. Okay. Well, yeah. So we are actually done for the day. It's been an interesting uh, question and answer period. It's been interesting watching our show get started late. <laughs> But it's been wonderful. I really enjoy you and glad you came on the program to uh, to share and ask questions. I'm glad that you invited me and it's always a pleasure to, to talk about Jesus with you. And I always definitely learn. I learn. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can tell your children, your girls, your Spanish, is, your English is fine. <laughs> <laughs> they always make a lot of fun. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, everybody, you thank you for coming and, and being a part of this program. Thank you for uh, helping us, to watching us, to praying for us. You all have a wonderful day, and you have a wonderful week. Aloha. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 